Hello world, welcome to another episode of Outside the Valley, a podcast where we interview remote startup leaders, remote workers, remote work advocates, and companies who thrive outside of Silicon Valley. This is the podcast where remote companies share what works and what doesn't so you can do it right. Outside the Valley is brought to you by ARC, the remote hiring platform that helps you hire remote software engineer and teams easily. I'm your host, Jovian Gautama. Today, I'm joined by Peldi, the founder and CEO of Balsamic. In this episode, we talked about Balsamic's culture, more specifically around the core value of continuous learning and the importance of experimental mindset inside a company. The challenges Peldi experienced as a leader as Balsamic skill and more. We also had a quick peek into Balsamic's hiring and onboarding process, why Peldi strongly prefers to employ remote team members rather than have them as contractors, which is a very common practice amongst remote or distributed companies. I really admire the self-aware nature of Balsamic, which is a byproduct of Peldi's personality as a founder and a leader. I really enjoy this conversation and I hope you do too. So here we go. Hello, Peldi. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Great. It's really great to have you here. And I've been really uh, following your podcast interview even before I launched the podcast, especially when the podcast was Indie Hackers. It's just amazing. I love how the, how I described um, you to my colleagues here. So before I started the podcast, hey, I'll be um, interviewing Peldi from Balsamic. He was a very cool guy. He's a very cool guy. And he sounds like this great Italian uncle. He's so good at business. Hope this doesn't offend you. <laughs> right. that's nice thanks right but yeah i think that's also other than the fact that a balsam extreme mode team is also the fact that um your philosophy and business actually quite fascinating would love to go into there um to that uh in a minute so before we started for the audience here can you uh tell us a bit about the history of balsamic um, as in, like, why did you started it? And more importantly, why did you choose to return to Italy instead of staying in the U.S.? Sure. So Balsamic, we make a low-fidelity wireframing tool. So uh, I don't know if your audience is uh, very technical uh, about user experience uh, they, or not. They probably heard about you, so. Okay, great. Yeah. So I won't go into too much detail. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so I started 10, 11 years ago. Uh, I was living in San Francisco, but I decided to uh, try this starting a, a business and I couldn't afford to do it in San Francisco. And so I thought I could uh, move back to Italy and try to do it from here where cost of living was much, much lower. Um, and try it for a year or two, and then if it didn't work out, I would move back to San Francisco and get another job. Um, so that that's the main reason why uh, I moved here. So when you got back to uh, Italy, uh, in Bologna, right, at, at yeah, that time? That's where I grew up. That's where my family is. Right. And was your first hire is also based in Italy? Yes. Right. And uh, is he, uh, I, I suppose it's a remote, remote, remote hire, right? Well, uh, at first he used to come to my house. Uh, I had mm-hmm. a room that was my office. And so right. he would 
come in the morning and go through my bedroom <laughs> and wave at my wife and then go <laughs> to the office. So at the beginning, we were, uh, we had an office, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but my second hire, which happened maybe a month after the first hire, was in right. San Francisco. So fully remote uh, from the beginning. And then um, we have been sort of this mixture of remote and Bologna office for since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we have a, a beautiful new office with 35 desks. Oh, really? Bologna, but usually around three or four people <laughs> show up every day. Right. Um, and that's, that's intended. Uh, everybody has their own office at home and we're optimized for working remotely. So um, I found it interesting because there are some companies that uh, deliberately start as a remote team in the beginning, but there are some companies that just, oh, this is just how I hire. The so-called remote work is just how I did in the first place. It's just natural to me. So you mentioned that your second hire is based in San Francisco. Was there any thought, hey, this guy is not in the same um, space, is he not the same country as me? Um, how do I make sure that uh, he will do the job, uh, so on and so forth? Was there any thought, or just like it just come natural to you? Well, uh, yeah. First of all, it was a she. The second hire oh, it was okay. a, <laughs> a woman, but that's okay. Um, the uh, decision to hire someone in California was very deliberate because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of our customers were. I and see. So the second person was uh, a support person. Okay. And so I wanted to have a distributed company so that we could support customers both in Europe and in the US mm-hmm. uh, very well. So for a while, I worked every night and I would answer the phone in the middle of the night here in Italy. Um, I did that for, you know, eight months and then I decided it's better, (laughs) better if someone uh, who lives there uh, can do support. So that was the, uh, the the primary reason why uh, I wanted to have uh, uh, a a remote employee in that case. Mm -hmm. Um, The, issue about managing um was never a big issue for me i was um in my previous career i was never a a professional manager i was a Mm -hmm. programmer uh i led a team and we were all in the same office but we had collaborators in india etc so i see i was pretty uh i wasn't afraid of the remote part and um it was never been a, a big problem uh, at all. We, uh, I don't know why, but you know, I, I put a lot of trust in my employees, and mm. uh, they rise up to the occasion usually, and uh, we just collaborate. I don't have to micromanage anyone. How big is Balsamic now? We are thirty-three people right now. Right. So when I was doing research, so I found this um, Balsamic, in my opinion, has a um, some kind of unique company culture. Um, I will describe it as um, self-aware. So that was the first mm. thing. And self-aware and honest. That's the other two things that came to mind. Self-aware, honest, honest, and fun. Like you're not okay. taking yourself too seriously and whatnot. So tell me, tell me how you you came to those. Uh, right. Okay. Articles. Um. 
I think it's on the、uh, one of your、uh, blog posts about the company culture. I'm actually let me just、uh, I probably have it about policies, and there is this. Okay, actually, let me、uh, I pull that back. The first one is from your career page. You started、uh. by why you probably won't like it here, and it's a long list, and it's not a BS list. Like this is something that、uh, very honest in my opinion. And the second one, and then you start. Why will, you probably will like it here? And there's another post that is basically saying, "Oh,、uh, okay, we share all of this, but we are afraid to be seen as humble bragging, right?" And、mm-hmm. I think that is very self-aware because a lot of companies、mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, an open startup and transparent, and it actually is good for the marketing. But I feel like Balsamic has this、uh, self-awareness, like, okay, we are not perfect. And there, there are、um, there are chances that you'll see us as you know, so humble bragging and so on. But it is what it is, and what we are trying to do is just learn along the way. So that was the the、um, the culture that I found、uh, very interesting in Balsamic. Does it make sense? Yes, yes.、Uh... I'm glad because、uh, right. I, I like all those adjectives that you, that you used. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the interesting part. So, what I want to ask is because, right,、um, for these cultures, right,、um, if you agree with, like,、um, I think the one that sounds the most is self-awareness and continuous learning. Was there any deliberate practices or things that? You or the Balsamic team do do either is company policies. Or communication policies that、um, makes you that helps maintain this culture. If that makes sense, some deliberate、uh, things. Sure. Let me let me see.、Mm-hmm. So, the culture of learning of continuous learning、um, has been、uh, sort of part of our DNA from the very、right. beginning.、Um, That was and still is the main thing that motivates me、mm-hmm. um, in life.、Uh, right. So I think、uh, over time, it's sort of part of the, the the company's DNA. I've been able to pass that love of learning and、um, mm-hmm. the no fear of experimenting. Right. Uh, to my team, and we sort of hire people who、uh, who like to work that way as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that you know that came from me from the beginning, but it's been、uh, amplified by other people by by people coming. The we as as far as deliberate policies etc we you know we we have these mottos and these co- company values and、mm-hmm. and we do say there that everything should be treated as an experiment got it um you know it's it's a big part of our of our、right. company culture yeah、uh, for sure and so we we reinforce that in our handbook and in our actions and We celebrate when someone experiments with something,、mm-hmm. and even if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. We, as, as long as we learn, we use very few outside contractors, for instance,、mm-hmm. because we want、right. the learning to stay in the company. That's kind、I、of、see. Uh, what's fun. We also choose to do things ourselves and 
we don't do them as well as an expert would. But the fact that we're learning while we do it matters to us. It makes our job fun. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the equation as well. Uh, it's not just about the polished output. Uh, we also care about, in fact, we care more about how we got there, what we learned. And yeah. Yeah. I totally noticed that um, the, like you mentioned, the DNA of continuous learning um, I feel like it came from you as the founder because um, some from your other interviews that you repeatedly mentioned like um, that this is your value and that's how it uh, become the DNA of Balsamic itself. Um, so other than continuous learning, is there any other thing or any other of your character, so to speak, that became the uh, DNA of the company yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure, especially at the beginning. I mean, we're bootstrapped. This mm -hmm. is my first business. Right. Uh, we, you know, we try things out um, as we go. So uh, certainly aspects of my personality or how I think a business should be run right. has, uh, has uh, become a part of the balsamic culture. But, you know, it's also been 11 years and a lot of people. So now I feel like it's less and less about me or how I want to do things and more right. about how as a company, as a group of people, mm -hmm. we like to work. And, and it's changed a lot over time. So that line between we do things this way because I want me, the owner, wants to do, that, do it that way versus... Mm -hmm. Let's do it this way because we collectively think uh, mm -hmm. it's a good thing to do. It has blurred a lot. Um, right. But more and more, I try to make my own opinions count less than they did in the past. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So before I was um, talking to the CEO of TechJar, CEO and founder of TechJar, uh, Mark Fagiano, and he actually um, had the same, the, exactly the same feeling like uh, when you're like 10 people and there are actually now 100 people in TaxJar. And there's this feeling of, I wouldn't say desperateness, I wouldn't say in a real negative way, desperate in saying that you have to, um, as a startup founder, you have to accept that things will take longer because you need processes and whatnot. So. Uh, now you're like 33 people, right? Um, if we, if you look back from where Balsamic was like, let's say 10 people, and now you're 33, um, as you're growing, uh, was there any, some kind of growing pains or challenges that was quite vivid in your mind? Always. Okay. Always. Mm -hmm. Even going from one to 10 or even one right. to two or mm -hmm. even, um, Absolutely, always. Uh, it goes through phases. Right. Where um, we think we have it figured out and then uh, we grow and things change and we have to come up with another way to work, mm -hmm. another way to collaborate. Uh, and so then that's painful and then we change things and adapt mm -hmm. and um, spend you know six months doing that and then we feel good again and right we figure it out and then six months later we got to do it all again so right. we say that as a company i think we're on version five 
Okay. So about every two years, mm -hmm. we have to come up with a, a new version of the company. Right. And I think that's because it grows. The, the growth is, is what, uh, what drives this transformation. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can recall specific examples on probably seems like kind of like a code refactoring in a way, right? Is there any specific yeah. examples where you think, okay, this doesn't work and we need to do like big uh, quote-unquote refactoring of the company um, when you, as you're growing? Yes, I've spoken about, about these, uh, these phases before. Um, I see. But, um, you know, even going, doing the first hire, that's right. a huge... That's a huge scary thing. I didn't sleep for a while be, mm -hmm. before wow. pulling the trigger because I didn't want to hire anybody. I wanted to okay, yeah. almost to have a, a single person company. Right. Then, uh, then uh, we got to five people, and I thought this is it forever. <laughs> but then customers kept coming and coming, and I didn't want a big team. I didn't feel comfortable leading a bigger team, but. We had to because we were struggling under the, the demand. So I had to let go of my dream and, 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 and do it. Mm -hmm. uh, later, you know, we went from 10 to 16 within a year. That's almost, you know, what, a time and a half, uh, right. almost two times as big. And, and that changed everything. Then we decided, well, we need to write a handbook because we oh, can't okay. just do word of mouth and talk to Peldi about exactly. everything. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Then as we got longer, uh, I had to uh, give up several parts of my job, several mm -hmm. my different jobs that I did. And some were easier to uh, delegate, some were harder. And then uh, right now we're in the middle of an experimentation phase where we still don't have uh, people managers, um, but we feel the need for someone to do those kind of jobs. Ah, I see. Um, and so right now we're, we're trying different things on different teams um, to, to see how we can, uh, we can solve that problem. We split into teams. That was a big change. We didn't okay. do that for, right. for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as you grow, you kind of have to organically come up with new solutions all the time. Yeah. Maybe there's a better way where you get VC funding and they give you a CEO <laughs> that knows what they're doing right. and, you know, and a whole executive team and they've done it before and they know <laughs> what they're doing, but that's not the goal for me and right. for us. Uh, in fact, these are great. Uh, growing pains are as long as the market allows us to take our time and figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's really fascinating. But and I also think that uh, the getting back to the DNA of continuous learning also helps. Like like you mentioned that right now you're experimenting with having teams or having people managers. But before, even on your website, it's like you're saying we don't have managers. You all directly work, but now you're experimenting to it, which means which means basically you are open to change. Balsamic team is open to change opinions whenever it's needed. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's a really good reflection. In my opinion, it's a really good reflection of the DNA. Um, yeah, in fact, so, I was a little cringing when you mentioned the jobs page because that when I read that now, it feels very outdated. <laughs> uh, I have it on my list to, to update it in the next few months because okay. the company has changed a lot since. Ah, we see. have other pros and other cons to list on that right. page. Right, right. 
dang, my research is outdated then. But yes. Well, it's, our, it's my fault. It's our fault. <laughs> no problem. You know, the, uh, some things don't change, right? The values, of course. the company values, the honesty is going to be there even though if the data changes. Mm -hmm. um, but even the company values can change over time. We just spent, uh, we did an effort a few months ago to redefine the company values internally because after 10 years, the values that I wrote uh, 10 years ago when I was a one person company don't make sense anymore. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And it also, it's not proper that the company uses my personal values from 10 years ago, right? Right, they, right, they should, right. They're, they're called company values. They're not called Peldi's values that the company <laughs> uses, you know? Yeah. So we just did a, a, a big effort where everybody was involved and, um, and we came up with a new set of values that are more reflective of how we actually work mm -hmm. right now. But at the beginning of it, it says, you know, in 10 years, we're probably going to throw these away and do it again. <laughs> yeah. And we have to, you have yeah. to evolve with the company. Yeah. And that's what I call the self-awareness part. That's what I got from the adjective from. Um, so I want to move a bit about on um, Balsamic's hiring process. So before you mentioned here and there about the tricky legal stuff that you had to um, go through when you're hiring a remote team or building a distributed yeah. team. Can you share a bit more about that shortly or what challenges you face and potential advices for uh, entrepreneurs that want to build a remote team? Well, I mean, you probably know more about this than I do because you've interviewed more people, but um, mm -hmm. basically the, uh, the, 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 the crux of the issue is that um, national laws exist. Uh, right. We, we live yeah, in a global a society, yeah. <laughs> uh, global society. The internet is all, you know, more or less the same. Um, the tools are more or less the same, but um, the laws are different. Mm -hmm. And so, so when you hire someone, you have to abide by their local laws, right? Mm -hmm. So you have two ways to do it. One is, uh, you sort of force this person to create a business and do a business to business transaction. Basically they're contractors with their own business. And, and those are better defined because business to business, uh, uh, commerce has been going uh, and consulting has been happening for a long time. Those rules are well-defined taxation is easy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so a lot of remote companies operate that way. Um, the other way is to use employment laws, yeah. right? Where uh, people are actually your employees. And so to do that in every, uh, country, state, province, and city where you hire someone, you have to abide by the right. laws and, uh, you have to register, get a tax ID. You have to pay us, pay sales tax in that location. You're basically True. establishing what's called a nexus. Mm -hmm. in that um in that country and so yeah. so that means you have to make sure that if the law changes you change your practices mm -hmm. uh, if the taxation changes you change your your taxation so what it really means is that you have to hire an accountant locally right. that knows about 
foreign companies hiring local people. Then you have to hire a payroll person that makes sure that makes sure they uh, that you follow the local hmm. laws and they yeah. calculate the net amount to pay and the taxes to pay every month. So both uh, approaches have their pros and cons. Um, we tend to favor the employment mm-hmm. uh, part because um, it's it's a closer relationship. Um, yeah. I agree. You know, with a contractor, you can't buy them a computer because they, you know, they have their own business. That's right. an expense that they have. Sure, you could give them a bonus or whatever. You could price it into their invoice. Right. But in theory, you're not supposed to give them anything. You're not. They're a different business, right? Would you, would you buy a computer to your uh, uh, accountant? <laughs> yeah, no, it makes yeah. no sense, right? Yeah. Uh, you can't buy them a ticket to come and visit you because so they have to ex- uh, put all these things out of pocket and then maybe you can reimburse them later. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't give them a Christmas gift because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're corrupting another business. You mm-hmm. know? So, and also they're not supposed to really only work for you as a, right. they have a business consulting business. So it looks better for them if they work for more than one client. Mm-hmm. So it's just not what we want in our relationship with our uh, employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not even supposed to list them on your company page because they're not part of your company. They have their own company. Right? Mm, true. Um, yeah. Sure, it's a gray area. But uh, in theory, if it's a business to business thing, you yeah. have to... Uh, Look at it that way. Right. So we do that with one uh, one person uh, because that was their preference. They already had a business and they're still running that business, but they also work for us as a consultant. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. But in general, we try to go the employment route. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that, yes, we are remote, but since we're already set up in California, Illinois, France, and Germany, we strongly favor candidates from those four locations ah i see because if we had to get someone in china we would have to register uh with the chinese government get a tax id figure it out hire accountants payroll people um so between the five locations where we are uh we think that there's enough of a talent pool that we can uh, we can hire from there but you know for the right candidate we might expand into another location but okay. it's a huge pain it's a it's a it's a Thank real you. pain yeah um yeah i think these are the unsexy part of a remote and distributed team you know a lot of people just talking about oh remote teams unlock a pool of talent it gives you um opens up opportunity and makes you more productive but i honestly as a startup founder entrepreneur these are the things that you have to figure out first it reminds me of a tweet like i saw a couple of months ago or uh, from uh the founder of bear metrics josh pickford um he actually got um he actually need to pay a tax for from the state of texas or something like that uh, for the listeners i'll put the tweet in the notes when i found it but yes this is basically one of the cases where um it's so complicated that he it's really almost impossible for him to figure out that this law exists. So that's how complicated it is. But in the end, he needs to pay the tax. It's a couple of Yeah, but ignorance is no excuse. 
<laughs> so every time you hire someone from another location, you're taking on more risk, mm -hmm. right? Because that means you have to ab abide by right. local laws. Agree. Um, still on the topic of hiring, is there any, so when Balsamic is hiring, right? Is there any step in the hiring processes that you feel um, is quite unique to Balsamic? So we, uh, we don't look at CVs. Mm -hmm. um, we don't ask for people to send a CV or a cover letter. Um, we also don't, don't do phone interviews right away to filter. Basically what we do is uh, whenever we have a job opening, we come up with a, this very specific list of questions right? Okay. Uh, and create a form on the website with all those questions. And the form takes about an hour to fill in. And that's the first step. <laughs> um, so that takes care of filtering. Mm -hmm. uh, we only really get people totally. who uh, really want to work for us. Um, and also uh, skips the whole first first phone interview because we we learn enough from their answers to be able to really get a sense for uh, each candidate uh, so it, it helps us uh, narrow down our, our selection uh, very very quickly Interesting. it's asking a lot of, pe of people but it also tells us how well they write how well they can explain themselves so it, it is a bit Asking a lot of uh, of uh, regular uh, people who are probably applying for a hundred jobs, mm -hmm. but um, we're lucky that we're able to to do that. Um, mm -hmm. Right, and people still apply. When someone is hired by Balsamic, how do you do onboarding? Because this is something that came up a lot when we're talking about dispute teams. Like Zapier has this Airbnb style onboarding that they ship the, the person to basically be on site for one or two weeks if I found a mistaken and other companies. Yeah, have so we don't do that. Um, we don't do that. In fact, often um, I only meet new hires uh, after 10 months when we have the company retreat. Okay. Once a year. So it right. depends on, on when they get hired, ah. but um, no, we don't, we don't fly anybody anywhere mm -hmm. because we don't need it. We, we're optimized for working remotely. And right. so even this, uh, this part should happen well remotely. So right. what we do is we assign uh, the new hire, both a mentor and a buddy. Okay. So the buddy is someone generally in their same time zone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's someone who they can ask any questions about the company and how we work. Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily about the work itself it's more right. about is it true that we have a limited vacation you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of a, you know questions about the policies um and then there's the mentor and the mentor is the person that's going to train you on how to do the actual job mm -hmm. usually it's the person whose job you're taking because they are doing something else or they have too much or you know they're, they're taking part of their job usually, right. right and so so we set up an onboarding program uh, for each new hire and it depends on what the job is and it could go from uh, three weeks to six months. Um, it it's on a case by case. We, we, 
we design a, a lot of companies that interviewed basically they're saying that um, onboarding is the uh, most important part because a lot of times new hire especially in distribute teams they will kind of feel lost in a way like if the onboarding doesn't done it's not done properly yeah 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 this is not something that i am good at for instance you oh. were asking about the company culture right so my style of, of onboarding was oh you're hired all right, sink or swim, Look. here's a bunch of work, right? Uh, over time, uh, uh, I have been less involved with onboarding because it's just mm -hmm. not something I'm good at. And, uh, but I think as a company, we do a good job now. Um, we, mm -hmm. Someone else set up some good policies for it. Right. Um, yeah, I think this is a good segue to um, my next question, which is on a broader topic about yourself. And this is actually a bit selfish, but because this is more like what I want to learn. Um, so in terms of leadership, so on your podcast interview with uh, Claire Liu in, in the, uh, no, your, the Heartbeat podcast. Oh, by the way, this is a thing that I um, do in this podcast. Basically, we're just promoting other people's podcasts because that's how I do research. Um, uh, you mentioned about, uh, and I quote you, paraphrasing you here, um, doing something that you're good at actually can hurt the team, right? Um, in a way. So I want to ask about how did you realize that? That's the first question. And the second question, what were the deliberate steps that you took to avoid doing, uh, doing that, like doing things that you're good at? Because it's probably like second nature, right? Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting because it's not intuitive uh, right away. Um, you think you know I sh you should focus on what you're good at and everything yeah. will be fine. Um, the way I realized uh, this was uh, I heard it on a on a interview with the co-founder of Buffer. He mm -hmm. he's the one that was that was saying that, uh, and that was kind of eye-opening. And um, the thing that I did to stop doing that, um, so it's not one thing, it's really a practice. Mm -hmm. You have to, because the, the, the tendency is to always go back to what you're good at and, uh, and do it. So it's more of a Zen thing where I, once in a while you have to step back and think, okay, am I, am I doing anything? Am I, am I, you know, am I helping or long-term is this, what I should be doing or should I train someone else to do this part, you know? Mm -hmm. So this sort of a strategic long-term thinking is something that I think comes with practice. Right. And, um, and at least I'm being very pa very patient, patient with myself because I, you know, I go back, I fall back into the trap of uh, working on what I'm good at uh, often. And, and, and it's also fine. Sometimes that's what the company needs for a while. But you can't just do it uh, forever or at least periodically you should try to, to think, all right, five years from now, should I still be doing this? Because everything you do, you're also learning and getting better. Right. So, of course, you're going to do it more. You're going to be asked to do it more. So this is not just for the company or this is for everybody, you know, uh, never learn something that you don't want to be asked to be, to, to do twice. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and so as you work and as you're learning, think about 
Short term, yes, I need to do this project so I will learn this thing. Mm -hmm. And longer term, should someone else be working on this with me so that they can do this uh, longer term? Maybe it's more interesting for them than for me. My opinion is that when it comes to delegating or doing stuff yourself, like the the bad, the negative effect of doing that is more amplified when you're uh, in a remote team. Like, for example, in my opinion, it can be something like, oh, when you're doing stuff yourself, or probably doing stuff yourself, if you're, if you're new to the team, it's probably some, it can be misinterpreted as, oh, does he uh, doesn't trust us or something like that. But I think that's one thing. But of course, it's a more complicated thing. But I think there's our delegating well, in my opinion, uh, is super important in uh, remote teams because it's not like, people cannot see what you're doing, right? And if you're in the same office, you can, hey boss, are you, are you doing this? Oh yeah, I'm doing this, let me just do it. It's not, nothing, it's a small issue, I want to do this myself. And it's and problem solved. But in remote teams, there's just like exponential uh, like communication debt, so to speak. And then in the end, yeah. it will make everything slower and the morale is down and, and so on. Yeah, that's true, that's true, absolutely. So you have to these are challenges and there's ways to solve them you can communicate better communicate more you can uh you know uh, be very clear about expectations and right. uh double check uh how people are feeling about things and, yeah and people ask to meet me uh you know spot meetings just to see if something doesn't feel right always mm -hmm. double check because 99% of the times it's because of the remote because right. we were not in yeah. the same room. So Correct. Yeah. these misunderstandings happen. So, mm -hmm. you know, just double check and uh, everything's fine usually. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are things that come with practice. I think uh, as people work remotely and then uh, after a while you get to know the people that you work with. So you understand, True. Uh, you know, you fill in those voids with, trust and, uh, and and past experiences right cool um another thing i want to uh touch on is about uh team communication right i saw in some articles that in some of your interviews balsamic has this a uh, golden hour so to speak where everyone's online um so my uh, I have two questions here. The first question, my first question is, was it always like that since it was like, you know, five or 10 people? And my second question is, are there any other um, communication policies that you deliberately implement? For example, how to ask for information? How do you talk or, and, and so on? Sure. So yeah, the golden hour is the uh, only hour that we sort of have in common, working hour that we have in common between California and Italy. So it's mm -hmm. 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. in California, okay. which is 5 to 6 p.m. here mm -hmm. in Italy. Mm -hmm. Now, 8 a.m. is early. Uh, so early. we're asking people to to start pretty early in California. And some people start even sooner than that uh they take seven o'clock or seven thirty a.m meetings because it, it helps uh there's there's no ways around it uh it helps to have uh uh synchronous uh conversations uh, they're just faster right not necessarily meetings even just slack right. messages you know? ah, okay i see so this sucks this is something that 
there's no tool that can solve that because uh, you know the earth mm -hmm. spins <laughs> and um, so so we do have that but we don't really require everybody to be online it's just oh, that, I see. Um, depending on the job that's when we expect people to schedule meetings between us and California. okay that makes sense um, sometimes I'll stay later uh, you know, I work, uh, until seven, uh, to, uh, to meet with people or I will have, uh, after dinner meetings, less and less, uh, but some other people will also do that. Mm -hmm. So, so that's one thing that we do. Uh, just, it's always been that way. Cause like I said, we've had somewhere in California since the beginning and then, uh, communication policies. We try to stay very light on policies cause they just creep up and uh, the tendencies to have too many but um what we say is that you if you are in slack in a specific room called announcement and ah. your and your uh little dot is green it means that you're working and you're probably willing to be interrupted or you know ah, receive okay. slack message if you're working on something focused and don't want to be interrupted you just quit slack and we can't reach you. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's really it. And then there's people who manage servers. They we have their phone numbers if needed. You know we have those mm -hmm. classic. If there's a problem, uh, on call policies. But mm -hmm. but that's really about it. Um, we don't. We like guidelines more than pro, uh, policies. So I don't think we have much about communication style. Um, just uh i think that's kind of something that's contagious too as you're new and you see how people communicate uh you kind of tend to adopt that same style but so we, we don't really have uh anything written about that right cool so i think my last question for today is about um i've been thinking about this topic about um employee happiness and customer happiness like sure. I have this hypothesis as in if your team is happy and then your customers will be happy because. Yeah, there was a title yesterday, a study that proved exactly that. Oh, really? I'll, I'll, I'll look for it again. Yeah. Right. right. So, yesterday. so yeah. So I was actually thinking to write a blog post about this. So yeah, the hypothesis is that if your team is happy, which I think um, remote work provides that, um, that added value of you know flexibility, freedom, and so on, which and is actually will um, cause your customers to be happier. Uh, why? Because even like if you're a customer support or customer champion, for example, because you're in a good mood every day, you just have this extra friendliness in your when you're replying to tickets, right? Or if you're a sales team, you just have this uh, energy to just do that one more follow-up emails, one more follow-up calls. Um, my question would be, how much do you agree with this? And do you also see this concept reflected on the balsamic team? So I agree with your conclusion, but not with your premise. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, um, working remotely doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy. Mm, yes. Um, at all. In fact, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a philosophical question. <laughs> even yeah. Though, so. Yeah. But that there is this misconception that, you know, oh, working remotely is so great. Mm -hmm. You know, working uh, remotely is 
it's great for many reasons and i wouldn't go back and uh, yeah you know i'm talking out of my home even though we have an office not far from my house i yeah. prefer to work at home mm-hmm. um but it also has a lot of drawbacks uh loneliness uh you know humans are social animals if you don't see anybody all day um it hurts it hurts your morale it hurts your 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 body physically too so um so i wouldn't say that being re- being remote is what makes you happy sure it, uh commuting makes you makes you very unhappy we know that Dude. right yep. <laughs> working right. in a very loud office makes mm-hmm. you very unhappy but um there's also social aspects of spending time in the same uh, location that um that are that are positive for sure mm-hmm. um now the other thing the other lesson is that that there was a kind of eye opening is that uh it's not my job to make my employees happy hmm. um happiness is an internal thing uh, you it comes from inside you kind of decide to be happy or not it's um what my job is so i can't make you happy just like be happy now you know <laughs> you, you just can't I, yeah um so what my job is is to create an environment where people who want to be happy mm-hmm. can yeah. be happy uh where people feel supported and free to be whatever they want to be um now happier employees make happier customers i want to read that study that came out yesterday too uh, i'm curious about it yeah it makes sense in theory right of course uh true uh often especially with support right you when you call some <laughs> yeah. some phone company and you talk to them and you can just see how miserable they are <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah of course uh i'm going to be unhappy just even because i feel bad for them um you know the uh the the trick there is to have good policies that allow people to be have enough freedom to do well by the customer right and then uh, they're just uh, applying the policy which is i'm going to try to help the customer up to a point that we define so that you know it doesn't drive us out of business but in general you're free to, to do that so that makes you feel better because you're helping other people um mm-hmm. and then uh you know uh, a designer who needs to design something uh and while they're depressed that might not be <laughs> as uh, yeah. joyful of a design right, right. but i don't know i don't know Th- yeah. these things are hard to measure uh so True. i'm to uh to reading how they studied that Cool. Yeah, awesome. This has been an amazing episode. We start with a entrepreneurship, uh, remoteness, and we um, end up talking about happiness. Well, that's what the Italian uncle will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome, Pelly. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time today. And I learned a lot uh, from this conversation. And I really hope the audience uh, do learn a thing or two, especially about happiness. Well, sure. And if anybody has any questions, uh, you can find me at peldi@balsamic.com. Right. Oh, yeah. About that. Um, other than email, is there any other place where uh, people can find you online? Uh, sure. We have a Slack community. Um, you have a Slack community. Where people can okay. ask uh, anything. 
I offer an office hours uh, once a week. I meet with someone, uh, usually entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. to give them advice on their business. Uh, so all these things you can find on our website, balsamic.com. Right. With a Q. Cool. And for listeners, if you go to Peldis LinkedIn, uh, you see in the description, and I don't know if it's still there, but I remember looking at your LinkedIn a long time ago, and it said that if you try to poach Balsamic's employee, I will find you. <laughs> That's so, yeah. I was like, okay. Uh, this one's, this guy's hardcore. I mean, okay. <laughs> right. Awesome, Peldi. Again, thank you so much for your time and wish you a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. And that's it for another episode of Outside the Valley brought to you by ARC. We created this podcast with the hope that in each episode, you can learn something new from other remote startup people. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at jovian at arc.dev. It's J-O-V-I-A-N at A-R-C dot D-E-V. Or you can find us on Twitter at arc.dev. See you next week with another episode of Outside the Valley and ciao.